If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. In this third episode of Cult Talk, my mom continues telling the story of what life in the Kobu was like. She talks about the slow drip that starts happening, especially when you form your own family unit and start questioning the bigger communal living environment and the leader who is telling you things that you don't quite agree with anymore. She also talks about questioning Stuart himself and thinking, why can't he be a kinder, gentler leader when she experiences meeting another minister who comes to share some ideas with the group at what they call a big meeting. Also, Stuart gets divorced from his first wife, Shirley. My mom discusses how this went down and what the group's reaction to it was. This time, I want to know about, so the guys were working all day, up all night. Were you in those meetings too with the children? Were you guys just, what, what were the women doing? We were. We would go to the meetings. At and, night. Uh, at night. Now, in the, at first, everybody had the kids there, and then it was too much. So then once everybody had their loss and stuff, we would have people stay with the kids, and then, you know, we'd still go to the meetings. So you had to sit through the whole thing, too. And How just, long were these meetings? At, oh, hours. Hours and like six hours, hours. hours. Well, you figure maybe six o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night, and I mean sometimes they went till two o'clock in the morning. Oh my god! And it was usually not fun. It, it was, was like public humiliation. It, that's uh, and you just would pray like don't you know don't pick on me, don't say my name. I'm not going to look. I'm gonna, you know look over here and you know. So were you starting to get an inkling like this is not for me? Or was dad or was anyone, oh, yeah. or did you guys never, like, were people just not allowed to talk oh, about it? Oh, no, they it? talked about it. The oh, brothers you did? did. And, okay. and people that we ended up being close friends with for years after that. Well, you yeah. guys all left. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, we keep saying brothers and sisters. That's mm -hmm. what Stuart wanted you guys to call each right. other. But we wouldn't address each other that way. <laughs> Good morning, sister Ruth. <laughs> right. But if it was something, we'd say, well, the brothers have gone over here and, and the sisters are going to go do this or whatever. So but, what were the sisters doing? Well, I, re I mean, I remember it being really fun. It was. But. You guys were probably working 
to your knuckles. I mean, well, I don't know. We weren't. We weren't. I just working, remember having a lot of fun. <laughs> we weren't working outside of the fellowship like the men were. Now, some uh, okay. women went and got jobs, like single women, because they didn't, you know, they had to like participate somehow. So some people went and got jobs. I had a job at a grocery store in a Spanish district for a real short time. That was right before we left the first time. We would just do things with the kids. We'd get everybody all washed up and dressed, and we had a little kiddie pool. We'd play out there. We'd, I remember that. I remember taking a bath in a huge industrial sink. A big tub type thing. A big, yeah. huge tub yep. like that you would wash like I don't even know industrial right, equipment right. or something because these were used to be factories this is what used to bother me too because th those lofts were not rented by us they were like the guy who that I said oh my gosh he's an accountant there were people like that that had some life experience yeah. that were now working and doing things for the Kobu and they would rent to them unbeknownst to these people they were subletting to have like 20 people and their kids live in their loft and they they're it's they were leaving maybe to go study art in England for a year oh. you get what I'm saying so you guys weren't even supposed to be there well really, not legally. all of us yeah. I'm sure and I remember thinking that's not right right because it's underhanded and it's lying but you guys were living in Pretty bad conditions. Not the sometimes, the, but the, not all the time. No, not the the lofts were pretty good. We ended up leaving from Manhattan when we came back the second time and stayed a very short time and then left. We ended up living in Brooklyn and we actually had our own little apartment. Yeah. But we had meetings in that apartment. Most of my memories are from the loft yeah. space. And it's probably because it felt like summer camp. And we, we weren't getting to... worked to death or anything. We no. were just like living our lives. We'd go to the grocery store, we go to we went to a lot of parks. I remember going a to a lot of, of parks and singing. Now, were you guys also asked to witness to other people during like your child's care times or were, were the women not really doing what the men were doing? Because the men were carpet cleaning, but also during their carpet cleaning, yeah. trying to save no, we people. Were, if we were out and about, we would hand out tracks and you talk did. to people. Okay. Yep. And the singing had, that was like, oh gosh, we really are becoming like grownups in a, in a church, but not the church sense that we didn't care for. But we started like learning songs and singing and like Stuart said it was okay that we sang. And it was like, ooh. Like he allowed you up. to sing. Yeah. We were also wearing those huge get smart, get saved buttons. Right. I remember him being on my little baby clothes right. and pictures right. and stuff, and you guys were wearing those. He's that's because he had that. Yeah, if uh, you came in the group, there were certain verses, just basic verses that mm -hmm. you learned. If you learned them and memorized, mm -hmm. then you got you got your button. It was sort of like the Girl Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> except except not at all. Yeah, and no campfire songs. <laughs> Make new friends, but not don't keep the old. Oh, my word. <laughs> if you can't laugh about well, it, you'll cry. Well, the thing is, it's like, you know, we're talking about like, yeah, this and that. And people are this and probably just horrified. That's why I'm so interested when I read these books and I see a Leah Remini show. And you're like, you really thought it was okay. Well, it's a slow drip. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and even the the people I've talked to at Nexium, which is the one now in the news, it's like they don't go, they, they, they say that you don't go from selling business empowerment seminars, which is what they were doing, mm -hmm. or self-improvement seminars, mm -hmm. to branding, mm -hmm. to human branding. Mm -hmm. It's a long process. Mm -hmm. It is. So it's not like you just jump into the crazy. Right. And you guys also, well, you end up having friends for life. I think maybe situations like that bond you together too. Right. Would you say like... You're not sure what's going on. You think you're doing something good. You're starting to get weird feelings, but then you grow closer to the people you're in it with. Right. Because you're all sort of in that right. space. Right. But if somebody leaves, it's like, oh, don't talk to them, you know. And then after we left, it turned out like those people that had left were fine. It's keeping you insulated. I'm sorry, not insulated, isolated. Isolated. Yeah. It's, it's like... the total institution mm -hmm. idea. It's your employer. 
it's your religion, it's your friend group, it's your family, it's your housing, it's right. your food. There's nothing that you're not getting from the group. Right. And so you can't quit any one thing. Right. Like some people move apartments or some people quit their job or even get a divorce. Right. Or lose custody of their child or but whatever. But they got something outside. The- but it's not all 24 That's things That's only one once. out of the five. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it, it's a big, that's why I always felt more sorry for the people who were single. That's why that started to get discouraged because there are safety in numbers and, you know, you're married and you have a child and maybe you have a second child or a third child and now you're a family unit. And it turns out that, you know, maybe this isn't the best thing for us. But when you leave, you're still a family unit. When you're single, you may have a, still have a relationship with people outside as time goes by less and less. First of all, because you don't have time to stay in touch, you're, it's discouraged. And then thirdly, you can't explain it because they won't understand because we're such pure and knowledgeable Christians. They just won't understand. <laughs> the truth of it is, is that some of it's so odd. You don't want to tell them. James LaRue. Right. You know, it's like, you start oh, getting embarrassed yeah, right and you don't mother. even want to have people come mm-hmm. in. You're like, yeah, we didn't witness to anyone today. Yeah. Pe- yeah. Tony Natalie, who I interviewed, who was the ex-girlfriend of Keith Raniere. Right. She said the, it, it almost made me cry when she said it. She's, but she was saying the reason people have the strength to get out of cults is because of a mother's love usually. Right. Because you're basically your allegiances change. So having children or having a mother outside, like you being a mother or having a mother outside who still cares for you, like in Catherine Oxenberg's case with India, her daughter who was in Nexium, or Tony, her case of having a son, like she was a mother. She said it's all about this mother instinct that kind of gives you this almost primal instinct, like I can't do this anymore because, and I was like, that's totally true because you had both. You, You became a mother young to me. Right. And then you had your mom. Right. Whereas... Some people didn't have either of those things. And I feel like that is like the perfect situation to help you be like, you know what? Yeah, I'm good. I need to be here and I feel all guilty. Like you don't care if you feel guilty or not because your child's just getting ready to run in front of a car. Exactly. It's like, you you know, who cares how I feel? Right. You know, it's way more primal than being part of a group. It's like, that's your group. Absolutely. And that's why uh, most of the people that left that we stayed in touch with, were had families were married and had one two or three kids they did if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery think again juvederm volux xc is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime even better this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment no maintenance required improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with juvederm volux xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. One of one of the things that was a turning point for me, and I think a lot of people, and I can't remember, this is before New York City, Reverend Wormbrand, which James LaRue mentions, he mentions him and David Wilkerson, because we didn't watch TV or read books or anything. You could, If you just came in with a book, people were like, what are you reading? And they would tell, he's reading this or that. Oh, really? But I mean, it was just so, so there was like a crazy. tattletale mentality. Oh, oh, yeah, it was crazy. We were allowed to read, uh, not allowed, but it was encouraged <laughs> I know I sound like a <laughs> flaming idiot. Um, we were we were allowed to read the Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson, which is very old, but it wasn't good. That. It was it was about the gangs of New York, and David Wilkerson still was in New York City and ministering that all this time. Stewart found out about Reverend Wormbrand, who actually was from Romania and had gone into a prison camp for being a Christian with the communists when the communists started going into Hungary and Romania after World War II. Mm-hmm. This is like 1948 or whatever. And I can't remember the book. I even looked online and I'm like, it was tortured for your faith, tortured for Christ. There were a couple different ones. His wife also got arrested because he said, you can't have communism and Christianity. The two will never go together because mm-hmm. one is your all is for the state or your all is for, you know. Right. So he got arrested. He was in work camps for years and stuff. So Stuart started tra- talking about this book and we're like, oh, cool. So we all read it and loved it because it was like a, a person who really, you know, gave their life and and loved God and his family. And I love the waltz, the blue Danube. I Mm -hmm. love this song, but every time I hear it, I think of his wife because she, they were building some type of locks or dam in the blue Danube in like 30 below zero weather. And like people lost their feet and their hand. I mean, they were really tortured, Wow, you know? So I think part of that this is gonna. I'm really going out. There was like, so you only sleep in two hours a night and working and stuff. This is so bad. So Stuart was telling you like, this is what real torture without looks like. saying it. So yeah. you yeah. guys need to yeah. stop complaining. Quit, quit being pansies. Because you guys weren't in a Russian gulag, right? Even even though this was actually before Manhattan, right before Manhattan, right? Okay. Um, so Reverend Wormbrand ended up coming to one of our big meetings. And these were the meetings that we would go to. And we actually started having to rent like warehouses stuff to have them in. And everybody would bring sleeping bags yes, and yes. sleep and there. And the kids had a separate room. You know, we'd have kids, everything for the nursery, for the children yeah. and stuff. And he came and he actually had to sit in a chair and had to have a stool for his feet. I mean, because he had been tortured and all kinds of things. And his wife came and he was wonderful. It was, and there's Stuart sitting there, who was very respectful of him. Oh, he was? Oh, yeah, because he, he he got him to come. I know, but you never know. No, and I'm sure this guy's going, where? where? 
have they brought me to? He's right. used to going to churches and different things. He was so beautiful. He was so loving and kind and wonderful. And I remember after he finished, everybody was just so thrilled. And I remember everybody thinking, that's how Stuart should be. Right. Like, what the hell are we doing? No kidding. That was a big, and for a lot of the brothers, I remember a lot of our friends and stuff were like, I wish he was, you know, you got to see the comparison, which Stuart would never allow before mm-hmm. because everybody was crazier. They were wrong and they were just milk toast and they weren't, they were watered down Christians and we're the only ones that are really fighting the good fight. And, you know, well, this guy had fought the good fight and lived on to tell it. I don't know, like things like that, like I think sometimes make people pure. Mm-hmm. That's how he seemed. He was just wonderful. Did anyone ever like say these things behind closed doors? Oh then? yeah, to each guys, other. Oh yeah. Did anyone stand up to Stuart at a meeting? Did you ever see a confrontation happen? <laughs> Not about something like that. You wouldn't have somebody stand up and go, "Wow, he was really wonderful. What's wrong with you?" Yeah. <laughs> I mean, did any? But but in other meetings, did anybody ever stand up and say, "I'm just not doing this anymore. I'm out of here." Like you guys weren't on lockdown. You could leave. Oh yeah, you could leave. But would people leave quietly without saying? Yeah, they just or were they just off. Okay, they, they wouldn't have like a full brawl. No, we just right. like took off in the middle of the night or something. But right. um, now when I read James LaRue's books, it sounded like people actually stood up and had confrontations. Exactly. And so, but, it, but it also sounded like they had a lot more freedoms. Like they would go places. I'm going to go over here and spend the day. And I, you know, I went to the museum. You couldn't do that back then. All the brothers were together. Nobody could go off the beaten path. Everybody was accounted for. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it was a little bit tighter that way. And okay. you saw it and met with him every night, not once a week or once a month. At some point it says they didn't see him for two months. And I'm like, well, what kept everybody there? You know? Right. So there's not a physical control it's not like you're locked in a place it's more it's a mind control correct correct feeling like you have to do this because right because this is what you're called to do this is the true road for christianity and Stuart is telling you you're going to go to hell and you're going to be lost forever and well, that everyone else is wrong except for your core group because we're we yeah we're the, in the purest way The mm-hmm. thing is, though, is I found out later through, I keep naming James LaRue. I know, get you really like his book. Because he has a, lo- a lot of what I don't know about. Yeah. I'm the before and he's the after. He's the after. He pointed out that Richard Wormbrand, Reverend Wormbrand, later on said that he thought Stuart was severely, maybe I'm not using the right adjective, but severely backslidden. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so he did figure out that Stuart was like weird and the whole thing was very odd, you know? Well, and it became, it became more of a dichotomy, Stuart's lifestyle versus the people Mm -hmm. in Kobu Mm -hmm. later. But you even started seeing that Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden Stuart, first of all, was leaving his wife Mm -hmm. for a younger woman. And that was around that same time of that meeting with Wormbrand. I don't know if it was before or after or what. So let's actually get into who Stuart was with his wives and his family and how he was living compared to you guys. So what was the deal? He was married to Shirley for a number of years. That's right. what we started the forever family with. Right. He had how many kids? Three, four, I, a know, handful of kids. He had, I think four. I feel like it was four, but we could, right. I'll look that up right. and correct it if we're wrong. Shirley was this girl, the woman who he found in the orphanage. She was dressing right. in the really infantile Shirley temple clothes and right. stuff like that. Very quiet. You never got to know her. Mm-hmm. Was she completely separate from the group? Mm-hmm. Other okay. people knew her that had been there longer, but I, I would say hi to her and she'd say hi. I never got to, I never even hardly had a conversation with her. Yeah. I never really had a conversation with Stuart. Right. 
Right. It's like, hello. Who is he? Which is, yeah. What well, ended up, what happened well, or how was it announced? When we were all living out at different fellowship houses before we went to New York, everybody would go to these big meetings. And instead of it being in Allentown, because we were all out at different houses, the thing was growing and growing. So we would rent warehouses and we'd have a big meeting and everybody would go there. Well, he had someone else announce it who I knew very well and his wife. Friends we, of ours? Well, no, you okay. didn't know them uh, after. They lost touch. They ended up getting divorced. Most people are and are divorced. I think there's one or two couples that stayed married. Most people from through your, this whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Not right away. Yeah. Even years later. Mm-hmm. He he was always sort of like the second in charge. Like everybody the looked lieutenant. up to him and he had him announce it. Shirley had been unfaithful to him. And they weren't sure what they were going to do. She had the kids, but they were going to go try and steal the kids because that wasn't the the situation they should be in. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, you know, God and Shirley are getting divorced. I mean, it was just like, oh my goodness, you know. Looking back, I'm like, no kidding, lady, you know. And she took the kids just like Katie Holmes, smartest thing she ever did. Right. But Shirley wasn't cheating on Stuart. I don't believe so. Right. And it turns out he was probably stepping out on her. Yes. There were several confrontations. Right. And during that time where Shirley freaked out on him. Exactly. She would never publicly or to anybody in the group, she would never say anything against him. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was brainwashed. You know, he took her out of an orphanage. But she was planning her escape. Right. Basically. And and everybody was just like in shock and, you know, and the, the whole thing about having this other person announce it who everybody trusted and really liked, Stuart like just sat there and so it was almost... Oh, Stuart was there sitting there while it was being announced? It was the big meeting. It was like, you know... Oh... It's the big meeting. Oh, no, mom. <laughs> it's, it's the big... <laughs> It's like, you know, that's like a title. It's not just a big meeting. It's the title, the big meeting. It's the big meeting. Keep up. (laughs) So it's the big meeting. Stuart's sitting there like all dejected. Yeah, and he's like just looking down. He's he's selling through his friend is that Shirley cheated on him. And they actually announced at that meeting they're going to try to go steal the kids. Well, there's an issue with the kids and they have some lawyers involved. And I don't remember specifically, but I remember we were all like, you know, thinking, wow, he seems like human right now. I, oh I thought God. that. I don't know if anybody yeah. else was. So that was, was the big that. meeting. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. everybody was. Oh, it was. <laughs> Unless you were so deprived of sleep, you're sitting there falling asleep. Because right. people used to have to poke people to get them yeah. to wake up. It was awful. So the time frame's really not clear. But by the time we all get to Manhattan, Gail is now Stewart's wife. She may have been. He married her really quickly yeah. after and, Shirley. But I know that she was his, like, uh, writing down every every word that he uttered even if he's in a restaurant he comes up with a brilliant thought and she would write it down you know and everybody so it was like oh gail you know he picked it she's really something else that was after shirley before we got to new york don't know when they got married but i remember after the fact the person who got up and told the whole thing and his wife she had told me way later that was going on that's one of the reasons what do you mean that was going on him and gail were together before Before they got married right and that they had like been witness to it and you know and um and oh sure that's one of the reasons they left because uh, most people weren't doing sneaky creepy things here's the issue yeah the the cult leader who is really diabolical and who's lying all the time is usually doing it to people who don't expect a liar right who are who aren't themselves lying right you know and so they are blinded by innocent 
thought like, right. oh, well, nobody would like because we're not. Mm-hmm. And we're all doing mm-hmm. it for the right reasons. Right. Yeah. Right. By the time we get to New York, Gail is now on this scene and his wife. Gail is much younger. Oh, yeah. She was younger than me. 22 or 21 she, or something. If that, right. yeah. And by this time, Stuart is what? 40? He looked like he was 55. He looked like he was 100. Yeah. I mean, he was so straggly looking. He had to be 30 years older. Okay. I would say 30 years older. 25 to 30. Yeah. Then Gail. Yeah. Yeah. As he was older than Shirley. There's a difference of 10 years, but 17 and 27 or whatever is not the difference you want to hear. Maybe 37 and 47. Okay. That's fine. We didn't have that that narrows as you get older. So Now, she was also really thin she wasn't very attractive she was a nice girl but right. she wasn't very attractive mom's just laying it, it all out there well, neither was Shirley. <laughs> sorry no i feel think free she probably had never been involved with a man before she probably just worshipped him because she was so young and shirley had probably never been involved with a man before yeah. if you know what i mean and mm-hmm. see that's that's the mo of a yeah. pedophile Right. And then he ends up employing all of these, quote, Gail helpers. See, that was after. After you. Yeah, that was was after you and dad left. Right. And he ended up taking half-wives later. See, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. That was after you guys left. Right. Things started getting increasingly weird, though. Well, yeah. And we can uh, talk about that at some point because I ended up being one of the second group to go to Haiti and fly in the plane with them and some other sisters down to Haiti and how the whole Haiti thing came up and the orphanage. And This is the church's mission in Haiti. They're still going on today and very sketchy. So let's talk about that. That sounds good. Okay. We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.